Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season five, episode four of Digital Grocer. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies, and joining me is my co-host, Mark Fairhurst. Mark, welcome. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be back as always. Uh, it's good to see you again. Yeah, it's great to see you. We, you know, in the last few episodes, we were on the road uh, mm -hmm. touring and uh, across the country, we drove something like 4,200 kilometers in, uh, which is 2,500 miles, you know, roughly. <laughs> Visit, visiting it was, it was a long, it was a long, it was a long trip. Okay. In any case, you know, one of the reasons we, Mark and I spend an enormous amount of travel time and traveling is just not about uh, visiting uh, our existing retailer base and our uh, pr prospective clients, it's fundamentally to understand what's happening in America inside brick and mortar space around grocery retail. How is that translating back down into um, the omnichannel experience? And the one thing that you know we're paying specific attention to is uh, staffing levels, out of stock conditions. We're looking at product availability. Um, how how are retailers evolving the whole aspect of fulfillment, whether it's delivery, curbside, click and collect, and so on? And to really kind of squeeze the costs out of the supply process and getting groceries into the hands of retailers. And I think most of our listeners are paying attention to the, the myriad amount of research that we're doing with the folks over at Brickman's Click and the data that we're publishing. And one of the things that we did at the top end of the pandemic, now, if, if, if we can still call it a pandemic, I think at this point, I'm not sure if the CDC has said uh, is COVID endemic, and I, I don't think we know yeah. just yet. Yeah, I think it's safe well, to say endemic. Well, there you go. So Mark, Marcus, Mark uh, I've called has <laughs> trumped Fauci, Dr. Yeah. Fauci, and it, it is clearly now we are in an endemic situation. Um, I will let the WHO know about this. Uh, in any any case, what we did is at one point we wanted to understand specifically on the West Coast, because you know, the West Coast in North America has always been to a certain extent a beacon of wanting to understand what is happening in this space, the space around digital commerce, e-commerce around grocery. You know, historically we used to look to the East Coast as because it would be the first to be influenced coming uh, influence coming in from Europe. I think that has changed in the last 10 years and it shifted out into uh, approximately around Silicon Valley and kind of stretched up and down the coast. And we brought in uh, Zach uh, Wilson, from, who's director of e-commerce over from Rayleigh's to kind of help us understand how is Rayleigh's preparing itself and what, is, what did it do to kind of shift its priorities around digital uh, commerce? And Zach kind of came on the show and I think it in fact, I think it was the second time at the time that we had him on, on the show. And we wanted to really focus, and this is going to be a three-part series, uh, this podcast. So this is part one. Part one is going to be focused around understanding transformation in retail post-pandemic. We are right now, I think everyone knows this, we are in an inflationary period in, in North America and quite frankly across the world. We're seeing geopolitical influence coming in from what's happening in the Ukraine, into Europe, into the North America, with Russia uh, entering into the war. We're likely going to see some other challenges come the fall. Uh, the Fed's just raised the interest rate, and that is going to have an impact on, it has uh, had an impact on food. It 
could potentially plunge. And then the economical drivers aren't saying this just yet, but we there's a risk of that we could enter a recession sometime in 2023, mm-hmm. which could last. And so we want to focus on this on part one, understanding, quite frankly, is how retailers change. Part two, we're going to be bringing in um, another retail uh, executive. And part three is going to be kind of really cool. We are going to be working uh, with um, a surprise guest that will come in to kind of do the lay of the land of what we can expect in the next little while, which I think will be really informational for, for our listeners out there in terms of preparing and potentially, I wouldn't say weather the storm, but it can kind of take a different approach to this in terms of just listening what the media is saying, right? Other sources of information. So joining us today to kind of answer our questions is Zach. And uh, Zach, we want to say thank you so much for joining us uh, again on uh, Digital Grocer. No, thanks, Sylvain, for that nice introduction and, and recap. And it's a pleasure to be back on with you and Mark today. Kind of just jump in. So COVID-19 hits the West Coast, you know, coming in across the country from, you know, from think of it from a Los Angeles perspective and from New York engulfing the nation into this this pandemic. And now we think to a certain extent we're in a bit of a, a, a period of reprieve. I wouldn't say it's necessarily subsided, but I, I think we're seeing some definite changes. Have you at Raley's and, and in your conversations with uh, other retailers that might be in your trade group or uh, other retailers that you're in, interacting with, have you seen a shift on how consumers are fundamentally interacting with, with e-commerce platforms? Yeah, it's been very interesting that, to watch how the consumers' interaction with e-commerce platforms have changed um, since you know some of the restrictions and some of the COVID-19 um, has subsided. When you look at the overall volume that, that happened, you had that big, big explosion uh, of demand for e-commerce when everything was being shut down, especially here on the West Coast. Um, and then as restrictions have lifted, you've seen that demand start to go down. But I, I believe, you know, based on our volume and based on what I hear talking to other retailers, is that where we've landed is higher than where we anticipated being um, coming out of this. Most expected us to be back at a volume that was around pre-COVID levels. But I think most retailers, including us, have have seen a significant increase from that. The other interesting thing that we're seeing is that, you know, consumers for the better half of, you know, two plus years have been relying on e-commerce as a new way for them to shop and get their groceries specifically or their products specifically from retailers. So a lot of consumers now anticipate or expect, you know, a lot of the retailers to have their own e-commerce platforms or partner with, you know, companies such as Instacart or DoorDash to uh, provide them with those services. The other aspect that has kind of changed or, or shifted as well is that those customers that used to be extremely brand loyal are now, you know, aligning themselves with an Instacart solution or a DoorDash solution because that was easy for them to access. And it gets them their groceries you know, just as quick as it would be coming from traditional grocery retailers. The odd thing though is you saw this big boom of this ultra fast or ultra convenient delivery service platforms pop up 
over the last couple of years, and those are starting to subside as well. So you're really being left with you know your traditional grocery banners and then the big players of Instacart and DoorDash. So I know it kind of rambled through there a little bit, but the consumer's behavior is, is changed to expect e-commerce to be an option that's available. And that just has now put more and more pressure on each of the retailers as well to deliver an experience that meets those consumers' demands. Yeah, that's, that's extremely well said. And, and there's one thing that you said that really resonates, um, rapid delivery. And, you know, we publish a blog post, and I'm, I know I'm going to botch the title here. So, Mark, I'm going to apologize to you and your team in advance. Is 15-minute delivery, I've seen it's 15 minutes. I don't know if I got that right. Mark. That was good. I did. Okay. Close enough. Okay, awesome. That's great. But what's what's really odd is we had a large, actually our country's largest retailer, uh, Loblaws, announced in the trades that they are doing rapid delivery in 30 minutes. And, and this is where this is flabbergasting to us because 50% of Canada's population lives in the Toronto market. I can't understand how 30-minute rapid delivery will actually make sense in this market, considering I think 65% um, of the people in, in this area of the country, or actually I'm exaggerating down the number, I think it's below, it's around 40, are actually new Canadians, where rapid delivery is not a given from where they're coming from their home country. And so I can't understand how this is going to make sense in our country. And, and and Zach, you're seeing this from a perspective of an individual that lives in California, which is just amazing if you try to extrapolate that to what's happening here in Canada. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the rapid delivery works best in those highly densely populated metropolitan areas, such as Toronto for you. And I did see that at Loblaw announcement as well, which was interesting because, you know, I'm not a big proponent of rapid delivery myself. Because I struggle to figure out, you know, what do you actually need in the next fifteen minutes? Yep. And there's a few items that you can think of, like diapers for you know mothers and things like that, or medicine, especially in this day and age. But being able to execute is, I think, the biggest struggle with that. And then the the other aspect of this is most of your marketplaces or platforms that you order or purchase groceries from are in that you know one hour to two hour range as it is. So adding that extra you know, convenience factor to it, although it sounds great and you know, as an idea, the actual execution process is probably a few years out from being fully mature. So you're gonna see, in, in my opinion, more and more of these you know, companies that have popped up over the last couple of years for this ultra fast start to, to go away or be absorbed. And you'll see like DoorDash with the Loblaws announcement be one of the key players moving forward with this. Yeah, I, I would agree. And so you're at the forefront of this. You're living this on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, Mercatus, we're there to help our retailers in terms of execution around platforms. And we're, you know, we're starting to see the effects of inflation to a certain extent. And uh, what's interesting, what was reported out of the uh, U.S. Bureau of Statistics is retail sales moderately declined, but actually um, food sales, I believe, up one percent. Mark for the for the last month. In in May they were up. Yep, but one they were up one point eight percent. Yep, one point eight percent, which is interesting. Now, Zach, 
Are you seeing the impact of inflation on the makeup of baskets? We are, um, and and it's interesting. We, we haven't seen anything like this. At least I haven't seen anything like this in my time in, in the grocery industry. The, the inflationary pressures that we're getting, not just from the, the cost increases from suppliers um, on core goods and materials, but everything else that's being passed down now, um, at least for regional retailers such as Rayleigh's, like it's impacting the basket big time. You're seeing more supply chain challenges because of not being able to get the products to begin with. Mm -hmm. But now the products you are able to get, the prices have been increased on them. And as a, as a high end retailer, that pressure on, on price for those products is changing the way that customers are shopping. So you're seeing less and less of the demand for the national brands and more of the, the demands for private label coming into play. You're also seeing customers and shoppers being more strategic on the products in which they're purchasing from you as a traditional grocer, and their share of wallet is starting to split out now to other retailers such as Walmart, Costco, and Target. Yeah, so we are essentially, we're seeing the same effect to a certain extent. I, I would say what we lived through in 08, 09, with the uh, economical issue with the housing crisis, where we literally saw, and for lack of a better example, you, you know, someone that, if I use it, an East Coast example, if you shopped at Harris Teeter, you went into a bottom dollar foods. If you couldn't do that, maybe you went to Walmart. If you, didn't, you couldn't do Walmart, because let's, you know, most people don't know this, 30% of Walmart uh, customers in the United States can't qualify for a bank account. Uh, and then so those people trade down into food banks, unfortunately. So you're seeing the exact same thing right now in your market where people are, are trading out, trading down, and being more strategic of what they're putting in their basket. We are. We're, we're starting to see that slight shift happen, but it's early indications on what's going to happen over the next couple months. And going back to the, the increase in grocery sales, um, Inflation is really driving that because you're seeing a reduction in units as well. So you're getting smaller baskets coming through the traditional grocers. And that's you know on par with what we're seeing at Rayleigh's, but also across some of our other market competitors as well. Okay, great. And you know, the debate we we have, and it's I wouldn't say it's a debate because you know we do so much research. We know that there are certain markets where delivery seems to be more popular, and but we also see there are markets where curbside completely outranks delivery, and and sometimes a two to one ratio. And you guys have been pioneers in e-commerce forever. What are you get? What are you seeing in your data? Is is it a fight between both, or there's a clear, distinct winner? Yeah. Oddly enough, um, as the numbers started to come down um, with COVID and along with the sales and demand, we probably saw a deeper decline in delivery demand earlier than most of the market did. But over the last couple months, we've seen an increase where most have seen that start to continue to go down. Um, and where we're located, we have the, the mix of you know a metropolitan city with San Francisco, Sacramento, but we also have the rural, rural areas and communities in which we operate in. And we've seen the demand in the rural areas increase for delivery, mm -hmm. along with the increase inside of the metropolitan areas as well, which is unique. We've also seen an increase, though, of the utilization of marketplaces such as Instacart and DoorDash. 
So that's going to skew that delivery number as well with those customers using those. Our internal platforms, though, we've seen that increase happen in, in pickup, to your point, Sylvain. Um, but our delivery volume, once again, has started to maintain a constant um, flatline, if not slight growth that's happening. The interesting thing that's coming, though, is because of this inflationary pressures that we have yeah. and the, the cost of gas here in California being as high as it is, customers are starting to realize, well, shoot, I can save that one or two gallons of gas going to the store and just absorb a delivery fee that's going to be half the cost of that price. So that's something that's going to be interesting to watch, at least over the next couple months. Yeah, that, that's an interesting yeah. dynamic. We hadn't, uh, we hadn't considered that. Yeah, it's we you know there was a there was a comment made on on a financial blog post the other day and and you know I I wouldn't say I'm super educated in in minimum wage uh, amounts in 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 California because I think it really depends on the industry that you're in. Yeah. Um what's what's the average price for a gallon of gas out of curiosity? Um I believe it's over $6 right now for sure. And at, just at least in my area, Sacramento region, we're about six thirty mm-hmm. for regular regular gas right now. Yeah, you're, you're, we're, that's at least a dollar thirty, a dollar fifty more than what we see in in some of the states on the East Coast. That's just incredible. And, and if you're, you know, a wage based, uh, an hourly based employee, and you're, and and quite frankly, if you're a gig worker, that's it's, it really hits the pocketbook. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what we see for the results uh, on this item. Now, I'm curious, what are some of the tactics that you would recommend to any of the retailers that are listening to, to or, uh, the podcast or watching this video on YouTube um, to keep your customers engaged with the brand during the inflationary period and heaven forbid if we enter into a recessionary period? Yeah, that's a a great question. One of the things to to always remember is that if you have customers engaged with you, especially on the digital level, most likely you have some sort of loyalty program or some way that you keep engaging with them. Um, But it's really driving value. And especially around inflationary periods like we're we're in now and continue to be in, really looking at the KVIs that drive customers in and also taking in consideration the supply chain. So making sure that you have ample supply of those products that you are going to promote at that you know, margin compressed rate, that's a huge one. The other piece is really engaging the customers on the, the platforms and, and the ways in which they've shopped with you over the last two years and to continue to in, involve them in you know, any sort of marketing tactics or retention tactics that you can, but it's got to be meaningful. If a customer is just getting a, an email from you saying, hey, it's you know Monday, come shop with us, that's not going to impact the shopping trip, of course. Now, the other piece to, to really pay attention to is your private label brands as well. For those retailers such as your Rayleigh's, we have a pretty strong private label presence, and we've elevated that over the last couple of years. And that, I think, has helped drive value in the mind of, of customers, especially with our loyalty program and um, what we call our Rayleigh's Dailies. And I know other retailers have similar programs that they're pushing more than they ever have before. But ultimately, what it comes down to is just reminding the customer that 
you're you're trying to give them the best value that they can and that they don't necessarily need to go to a Walmart or a Target or you know big box store to get that value, but you can still be their 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 customer for them. As a local retailer, you can save potentially save that gas money that you would have to spend to go to the bigger box retailer. Love it. Now you said something again, which I'm not I'm not surprised. Um to the listeners out there, so if you pay tra- attention to the trades, you likely have seen that Sobeys, that's part of the Empire Group, um, has decided to ditch the Air Miles program. Um, and there's various reasons for that, but they've decided to buy into the Scene Plus program, the loyalty program that is uh, originally founded by Scotia Bank, uh, one of Canada's largest. Uh, out of the five largest banks, it's one of them. Uh, also founded by Cineplex Odeon. Um, the owners of Cineplex also own what's uh, what's the mark? I'm just drawing a blank here. Uh, Jerry's company. They own also a large U.S. based retailer, discount retailer. As Mark thinks about that, I'll just continue. <laughs> I'll just continue rambling here. I, I know it's uh, Onyx, Onyx Corp. Onyx, Onyx yeah. Corp. So you guys just Google yeah. it. You'll see what, who they own. But in any case, so so Sobeys has bought into this program. And the one thing we we wanted to write a blog post on is this notion of what we call the loyalty equation, right? Because loyalty programs are fundamentally about how do you not just retain, but how do you convince a consumer to buy more? And so, so Zach, a, by saying what he said, triggered... This is the perfect opportunity for a retailer who needs to kind of learn the tricks of the trade of a loyalty program. Really pay attention to how Sobeys is going to roll this out across the country and how they're going to communicate back out to their customers to really drive value for the for the customer, right? Because uh, in our country, Loblaws penetration rate of their optimum program is about 60%. Their PC plus program is about 60% of the population is using uh, out of 37 million. And uh, seen is below 2% of the population. So it, it will be very interesting to see a, how a, a true high, low retailer uh, drives the loyalty equation and makes a customer feel like they are getting value for the dollars that they spend. And I think it's going to be real-time learning the best you can get, better than going to take a loyalty program at your local university. Zach, I want to say thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. As always, you always have the best insightful responses to our uh, questions. And the best of all is you're actually helping us educate our listeners. So thank you. Well, thank you once again, Sylvain and Mark. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Zach. Awesome. Folks, Stay tuned. Part two of this uh, podcast will be out, I would suspect, in a couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to be talking to John Luco. John is the retired uh, president and COO of Giant Eagle. He'll be sharing his insights of how do retailers react to inflation? What do they do to prepare? What what are they mindful of? And how do they start to prepare themselves uh, in the case of a recession? And I'm sure John will have tons of war stories of what happened in 08 and 09 and how his he and his team got ready to kind of weather the storm. We'll talk to you then, folks. Take care. Thanks for watching and listening to our show. We've got more great episodes on digitalgrocer.com. And we'd love to connect with you on social media. 
at Digital Grocer on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and at Digital underscore Grocer on Twitter. Like, subscribe, and click that bell icon so you never miss another Digital Grocer podcast.